Welcome to Mind the Gap by Fresh Chat, a podcast where experts and hustlers share their stories on growth, marketing, and customer experience. I'm Abhishek, and I'm your host for the day. Dan is a keynote speaker, an author, a podcaster, and currently the vice president of marketing at Persuado. Dan has also led global social media center and excellence for 120 McDonald's markets around the world. Today we'll be talking to Dan about social customer care and winning customer love on social media. We are super excited to have him on the show today. To begin with, talking about social media's growing role in overall customer experience. How do you think the shift has helped marketers or how do you think the shift has helped customer experience folks? Well, first of all, I really appreciate you having me on the show and uh, excited to talk with you and you've hit on a uh, a topic that I am very passionate about, which is really the circular relationship between social media and customer experience. And let me explain what I mean by that. Today, there's no such thing as an offline experience because as we know, anything that used to happen offline can immediately come online with just the click of a button. And so things like being on an airplane for example that used to be the most offline experience you could have now we get viral videos of a guy being dragged off an airplane that make it onto social media and get shared with everyone. And so this has created a very tight relationship between social and customer experience meaning that companies have to understand how to create experiences that get shared that are positive experiences right so that we have more people sharing positive experiences than negative experiences but the other half of that circle is that once experiences hit social media what do we as a company do to respond to it and how do we react to it because that actually feeds back into people's perceptions of our brand and perceptions of the overall experience so you kind of have two shots at it you have if i create a great experience people will share the great experience which is basically the word of mouth marketing that so many marketers are pursuing and then if people are talking about me on social media really no matter what they're saying positive or negative if i engage with them back and i am responsive i have yet another shot to show them that i'm a great company to do business with right now you were talking about how there's no offline experiences anymore and one of the things that social media has brought today is instant gratification you know what used to take a long term for a sales guy to close a deal is now faster because of technology what used to take a long time for a marketer to test retest regroup a new campaign is instant because of social media so f- from a marketing angle how is social media's instant gratification used by marketers and product guys today yeah it's a great question and a kind of funny story my first job out of college i worked for a high end collectibles company called the danbury mint that sells plates dolls figurines you know sports paraphernalia etc and it was all direct to consumer and it was all non-digital so i got my start in direct mail uh, the sunday newspapers magazines etc so you you know literally people would fill out a coupon and put it in the mail and send it back to us when they wanted to place an order and i used to refer to that as instant gratification because as a marketer i loved the fact that i could send out a mailing 
and just five days later start to get those coupons back in the mail. And over the course of two to four weeks, I would know how my marketing campaign did. And I thought that was super fast and and you know and really cool. And today, you know, in social media, we can learn how a campaign does in the first few minutes. Like it's it is it truly is instant. And I think that there's a lot of um, there's a lot of impact there, and it's generally good impact. I mean, the first thing is is that we know very quickly whether the product that we're selling or the service that we're selling is uh, enjoyable, is is desirable, and and people want to buy it. We also know whether the marketing campaign itself is talking to our customers in the right way. And that's actually what we do at Persado is that Persado is a uh, marketing technology startup that focuses on identifying the right language to use to get people to respond better. And I ended up joining the company because I had been a client twice. Uh, and, and so I knew that it really worked because ultimately, when you have a machine helping you generate words and phrases, that machine has just access to an unlimited number of different word combinations that the human brain just can't handle by itself. And so when you then pair that with a channel like social media that has this instant response, we're able very quickly to figure out what are the words that are going to get people to stop scrolling and to pay attention enough to at least click through, if not go ahead and buy or sign up or whatever it is, whatever kind of conversion that we're looking for. Right. I, I totally resonate with what you talked about. Now, how do you establish a process for crisis management and or proactive customer support for that example? Uh, of course, like you said, people have moved from emails and calls and people are resorting to social media right now for even customer complaints. Or a marketer uses all this data to run a campaign there. But when a campaign misfires or when a brand is suddenly just derailed because of a series of tweets or a series of campaigns that you tried, that you thought will work right, but it kind of failed. How do you manage crisis like this? Yeah, well, I think that managing crisis on social has become, you know, a whole different ballgame from managing crisis before social. And But I would say also that a lot of the learnings that we have as marketers or even as customer service people translate very well to social. So for example, I think when there's a crisis, one of the things that people are looking for is authenticity. They're looking for honesty. They're looking for a clear answer, right? So when people are evasive, when companies are quiet during a, 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 a crisis and not not saying anything, that's where things start to get a little bit fishy and and you tend to go down sort of the wrong rabbit hole. Um, there's a couple of great examples. Um, I remember both uh, United and Southwest, and this was a, the pre-man being dragged off the plane incident, but both of them had incidents a, a couple of years ago where they were, they were pretty significant incidents. I think they were service outages. So you've got lots of people missing their flights. And and um, you know obviously, when people miss their flights, they're not just angry, but they're missing weddings and funerals and you know big life events. And so this is a big deal for people. And I and both of them did a really good job of kind of getting out in front of the problem. You know, for example, proactively posting, we know that we have a service outage, we're working on it, right? A lot of companies are afraid just to do that because they they're like, well, we don't want to tell people our website is down because then the people who don't know that our website is down are gonna know. 
And it's like, but yeah, but instead you have lots of people who do know because they've tried to log in and can't and are frustrated with you and your phone's ringing off the hook and your emails are piling up and you've got tweets all over the place. And sometimes all it takes is one post to say, look, we know our website's down and we're working on it. We really apologize. And that I think is a huge step that when you can convince a company and convince management that this is the right thing to do, you make a huge impact. A company that I had a chance to interview a couple of years ago is Duke Energy, one of the largest you know power companies, utilities in the U.S., and they've actually started proactively posting when storms are coming. So not even when the power is out, but basically when they fear the power might go out, they are proactively posting and saying, "Hey, you know, a blizzard's coming or a hurricane's coming or whatever." And what they've found is that people, when they when they survey their customers, the level of trust has gone up you know immeasurably because people understand that they are being honest and they're coming out in front and and that basically they have their back and so you know imagine a lot of times people look at a utility company or a phone company or when you don't really have a choice they, those are not usually your favorite companies to deal with and yet here in this case people feel safe and feel taken care of because this company has decided to be proactive. Uh, so I think it's, you know, to kind of come back to your overall question about, you know, having a plan, I think that, you know, a plan has to involve your typical PR team, the marketing team, the social media, the social media team, the customer service team all have to be aligned. Uh, there's always, you have to prepare for, you can't prepare for everything, but you certainly can prepare for some things. And, and so there are common crises that happen that you should have, uh, some steps outlined. Who are you going to escalate to? What kind of decisions have to be made? What's your SLA in terms of speed, in terms of getting out a, a response, et cetera? Um, and it, you did also make an interesting point about what if the crisis is actually born out of your own marketing, right? You you put out a ad that you know inadvertently people think is racist, or or people uh, you know are, are offended at it for some reason, and all of your research showed that people liked the ad, and and so that's really surprising. You know, the good news from the instant gratification part is that you can take it down pretty quickly. But again, I would always point back to be authentic and say, look, honestly, we had no idea this would offend people. We're so sorry. You know, we've taken the ad down. Thank you for your feedback. Uh, this is not the you know kind of message that our company wants to be uh, you know sending, et cetera. And I think it's not you're not going to avoid the press coverage and and sort of the crisis, but you are going to have a counter argument and that that basically shows people that you're a, a genuine good company right now so from your experience uh you've spent some quality time doing sales some part of marketing and you've been focused on customer experience as well every marketer today is focused on customer experience right i'm interested in knowing dan on how to recruit and train for a great social media team now when i'm talking about a social media team you need a social media team of marketers. You need a social media team of customer support reps. And their goals are very different. The marketers looking at going and hunting, pushing, pushing the content, getting some sign up, getting some volume, getting some traction, while the customer support is just looking at first response time or proactive support and stuff like that. What do you look for in people when you look at hiring for your marketing team or your customer support team just for social media? And how do you make sure that you form a, an, an environment with, with where they kind of work together. How do you do this? 
Sure. Well, the first thing I, I believe, and again, I've been a marketer in almost every channel there is other than I've, I've never done TV marketing, but I've done all the offline channels. I've done all the digital channels. And what I would say is that social media is just another marketing channel, right? It is not that different from a marketing perspective than other channels. The key thing that makes it different is it's the only channel that customers can talk back to you. And so therefore, you have this interaction, as you say, with the customer service team that I'm not sure was as close of an interaction in other channels before social came around. But the reason I say that is that I think I think companies make mis- the mistake they make the most often is they want to find social media people to run these things. And I would argue that you actually should look at it the other way, which is you should look at marketers to run your social media channel. And you should look at customer service and customer experience people to run the social care aspect. I believe it's very difficult to teach somebody social uh, uh, customer service skills. It's difficult to teach empathy. It's difficult to teach patience and, you know, and wanting to solve problems and, and, you know, not getting upset when somebody's yelling at you, et cetera. Those are tough things to teach. It's not difficult to teach somebody how to use Facebook or how to use Twitter, right? It's not difficult to teach somebody how to place an ad or how to use the, you know, the, the certain, advertising mechanisms on the platforms. Those are just tactical things that you can teach. It's but but teaching somebody how to be a good marketer, you know, I mean, people like me have gone to, you know, world-class business schools to learn how to do that. And so to expect that you're going to bring somebody in and say, "Oh, well, at least they know Facebook. I'm going to teach them how to be a marketer." That is a much tougher hill to climb than they're a world-class marketer and I'm going to teach them Facebook. And so th- to me, that's the key thing. You then have to look at what makes social media different from other channels. And certainly from a care perspective, one of the key things that companies overlook is is the writing ability, right? So normally we hire people to be on the phone and it doesn't matter whether they can write or spell or have good grammar because they're speaking. But now you move those people over to social media and even a simple typo can cause, you know, not exactly a crisis, but can cause an embarrassing situation on social media. And so you definitely need to test people for their writing skills, which is something that I think was not, you know, people didn't have to do in other similar roles in the past. In terms of them working together, as I said before, the more marketing we do, the more service is required. And so you really do have to have these two groups working hand in hand. And I, you know, from my experience, what I found is that social media marketers, t- many of them don't tend to be very interested in the customer service part. And what you find is like... They're very interested in the engagement part. So they're interested in what used to be called community management, which is basically, you know, the brand talking to all of the fans and and advocates and people who love the company. Well, that's pretty easy to do when you get to talk to happy people all day long. And and yet I believe that even that should be a function of the customer service area so that, first of all, they're not dealing with only the angry people, uh, but also so that they get a better sense for the entirety of the conversation about the brand. So in order to make that happen, the teams have to be working together. The marketing team has to share its plans with service so that service knows when they're ramping up their paid spend because that means they can be prepared and resourced for the additional 
uh, service inquiries that are kind of come in. Likewise, the service team needs to complete that feedback loop back to the marketing team when, as you said before, you know they're hearing things about the marketing content, positive, negative, or whatever. You know that has to get fed back so that the marketing team can adapt. So it really, it, you know, when you have them holding hands, uh, physically sitting near each other, uh, you know, sharing team meetings and stuff like that, those are the companies that are really, uh, you know, well organized. You can tell that they're doing that they're successful at it. Right. Okay. My my question now is going to be based on data or research, but not too sure how real this data is now. The engagement on social media is going down and the messaging in social media, whether it can be Facebook messages, whether it can be LinkedIn messages. We are from a modern messaging tool called Fresh Chat, and we've seen this largely that messaging is kind of overtaking social media itself. Chatbots are becoming popular. They're becoming a norm. And there's a lot of personalization that you can offer with, uh, you know, personal one-on-one content rather than putting out a content and finding engagement with it. Now, this changes the paradigm of how social media works, you know, one-to-many content to one-to-one content with AI chatbots and all of that. How do you think this is changing the dynamics of a marketer? Well, it is a very interesting change that's going on. And and definitely, I'm seeing that too. And I actually think it's funny that we refer to messaging as social media because, you know, traditional social media, and I said it's put traditional in air quotes, you know, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, et cetera. The whole idea is that it's both social and it's media. There's two words there. Whereas I think when you get to messaging, that social aspect really does start to go away. To your point, it's much more of a one-on-one engagement. I think this is a reaction to what we've seen in social media, which is that customers today crave genuine engagement with the brands that they do business with. And and they want to be able to talk one-on-one with these brands. Uh, messaging works very well for both parties. I think for the brand, they're happy because when people have complaints, they'd much rather they make those complaints in private than in public. So that's a great thing for them. I think for the customer, the messaging is great because you're not constrained by 280 characters. You can share, you know, account information and other things because it's it's usually more secure. Um, and also, you just have this ability to either go back and forth in an in an instant chat uh, if that's what you want, or uh, similar to what I was saying before about tweeting, is you have the ability to kind of send a message and then leave and go about your day and not sit there and wait for an agent to type back, which is kind of what we do on web chat. But but just be able to come back at your own leisure to see the answer and and then pick up the conversation from there. And I would say one additional benefit for both parties is that you also maintain the history of the communication. So you obviously can scroll up in a instant in any sort of messaging platform and see everything that has happened before. So you're talking to your hotel and you give them your loyalty number. The next time you talk to the hotel, you shouldn't have to give that loyalty number anymore because it's right there in the previous chat. And I think that's a huge benefit. Um, on the chatbot side, you know, I think there's a some definite good use cases for chatbots. My concern is that too many companies will look at chatbots as a cost savings and as a way to reduce the number of humans needed in the customer service department. And I think that's a big mistake. Um, I think chatbots are great for handling basic inquiries, repetitive inquiries, um, kind of if you think about when you call a toll-free number and you get the IVR system that says press one for this, press two for that, those things 
tend to be very similar to the things that chatbots can do. So let's take a credit card company as an example. If you want to check your balance, that should be pretty easy to do in a chatbot. You don't have to speak to a person to check your balance. And sure enough, just for those wondering, when you call a credit card company, that first, the press one is almost always check your balance because it's one of the most frequently if it's like the most frequent call reason. And so many, many, many people just press one, get their balance and hang up and that's all they needed. So I, th- I see chatbots serving a great role there. The thing that chatbots have to be able to do is recognize when the question has gotten to a point that they do not know the answer and can't get the answer and they have to have a smooth handoff to a human. And then the last piece is, I think AI has a huge opportunity to help agents even more than customers. And so if you imagine, I always try to sort of imagine a customer service agent sitting next to like IBM Watson and having the answer to every question in the world at their fingertips instantly. Plus, you know, the computer knows everything about the customer, knows all of their order history, knows all of their preferences, et cetera. Imagine how smart that makes the human agent when that customer still desires human contact, right? So customers, I don't think, are ready yet to have all of their communication be with a bot. But if that bot can help the human agent be a much faster and more successful agent because they can get to the resolution faster, I think that's a huge opportunity. Right. Now, how do you leverage social media? And how do you simultaneously improve customer experience on social media and enable advocacy? Well, I think that one of the things that we talked about a lot um, at McDonald's was this idea of trying to get the lovers to be louder than the haters. Because there's always going to be haters, especially with big brands. You're not going to get rid of the haters. But what you can do is you can tip the scales and you can create more brand lovers. And How do you do that? You give them amazing experiences that they want to talk about. So one of the things that I wrote about in my book is this idea of the stuff that gets shared on social media is somewhat predictable. So let me explain that. To me, it has to do with a very simple equation, which is customer expectations plus their emotion equals their willingness to share. So when a company exceeds a customer's expectations, they make that customer really happy and people are very willing to share when their expectations have been exceeded. And you've seen lots of posts about this. Wow, I can't believe what this company did or gosh, I got this you know gift from them in the mail. They're so great or whatever. They put this extra thing in my box or I had this awesome experience at a restaurant with the great service. Etc. People love talking about great experiences because unfortunately, they're few and far between. We don't have that many great experiences with brands. So when we have them, we want to talk about it. And from a marketing perspective, that is the elusive word of mouth marketing that we've been all looking for, right? It doesn't happen in a viral video. It happens with people talking about how great you are to work with. The flip side, of course, is that when we fail customers, when we miss their expectations, we make them angry. And that also creates a very high willingness to share. And so one of the things companies can do there is make sure that they identify pain points, get rid of them, do a lot of listening in social media to see what's wrong and not be afraid of those complaints, but use those complaints to fix your experience and make it better so that you are at the same time, you are reducing complaints and increasing positive posts. And that's how you get the lovers to be louder than the haters. That middle area is sort of what happens when we have an okay experience where our expectations were just met or barely met. That's probably 85, 90% of the experiences we have. 
you don't share those. There's no reason to share those. So the willingness to share is almost zero. Nobody says, ah, I had an okay experience today with my phone company. Like that's not anything you ever see posted. And so the sort of summary is companies have to focus on how do we provide remarkable experiences that people want to talk about so that they become our marketing force. And how do we eliminate those things that are just you know, ticking our customers off that are easy to fix, that are just small things that are breaking or not functioning the way we wanted so that we can get them to so we can get them to speak negatively about us less often and positively about us more often. I, I love the fact that, you know, what I thought was a little complex, you've put it in a very simple way, in a, in a very simple formula of what gets shared. Now, from your experience, can you t- give me an example of a company which does that? Or can you talk about a campaign that's happened like that? Or uh, Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, you know, for folks that, that uh, listen to my podcast, which is called Experience This, they know that uh, my co-host and I are big fans of the company Chewy, which is a uh, pet supplies website. And Chewy has really figured this out it really from everything from their packaging to their uh, to the customer service, to the marketing language that they use. It's all very friendly and um, both human friendly and pet friendly. Um, they, they're always just finding ways to make the customer experience just a little bit better. And, and what happens is people fl- just absolutely fly to social media and share these things and say, I can't believe what Chewy did. They were so great. We had an episode last year where we actually had three different listeners independently contact us about great experiences that they had had at Chewy. And one guy, you know, his cat had died. And so he can't, he called in to cancel his order for cat food. And not only did the agent on the phone, you know, really sympathize and talk with him for a while, but they ended up sending him flowers and, and a card, you know, saying, we're so sorry that you lost your pet. And, and what's remarkable about that is that since he had lost his pet, it's possible that he was done being a customer with Chewy, right? I mean, you don't know whether he's getting another pet, but he's on the way out the door and this company is taking good care of him. And what does he do? He posts it on Facebook. He calls me because he knows I have a podcast about it. So they're doing things amazingly well. And then the other thing they're doing, because I talked about the circle early on, is when you when you uh, tag Chewy in a post, they all, they always respond and they respond in a friendly, fun way. They use food puns. I mean, sorry, not food puns. That's a different company. They use uh, animal puns. Uh, you know, they'll they'll say, thank you so much for your applause instead of applause, right? Or they'll, you know, they'll say that, you know, wow, that was a perfect post or something like that. And they're just cute about it and it fits their brand really well. So I think they're a great example if you're sort of looking for one uh, on who's doing it right first offline and then back online and have really completed that circle well. They're a great company to look at. Great. And and Dan, whether from the example of Chewy or whether from the example of McDonald's or any other company that you spoke about, now these are large in, in, in a certain way. Now, several people who are listening to our podcast are also startup entrepreneurs. They are, they are hustlers and they're just starting out and they are SaaS founders and they are e-commerce founders and all of that. Now, for somebody who's starting out on their social media plan, what is the ad- one advice that you can give them? Well, honestly, the one piece of advice and you may not want to hear it is respond to everyone. Uh, when people mention your brand on social media, they expect a response. 
And, you know, the B2B companies, and I work for one right now, I think often a mistake is, is that they think that B2B is different. But in reality, you're not selling to a building, you're selling to a human being at a company. So even though it's B2B, it's still H to H, which is human to human. So B2B companies also should be active and engaging in social media. And when you are posting something and people are commenting or when people are asking questions or whatever, those are actual people who are your prospects or customers. They might represent you know, a, a company that you do business with, a client. Uh, but I think keeping that focus on the human to human is really important. Um, but responding to everybody is absolutely key. And and if you can do it yourself, that's great. I know a lot of solopreneurs or or entrepreneurs that have small teams where the CEO is the one responding. And gosh, that goes a long way with people. Wow, the CEO responded to me. That is so cool. You know, and that makes people like your company better. As you get bigger, you can't do that, and you've got a lot of other things going on. So either a dedicated person, or sometimes you have to outsource. It, but make sure you outsource it to someone who knows your company and who knows your brand voice, etc. Um, but I, that's the one piece of advice: is is you know be out there and know that people are talking about your company, whether you're on social or not. So you might as well be part of the conversation. Right. I have one more question for you. Now, this is about influencers. Now, this is probably an elephant in the room because brands are doing everything right on social media. In individuals are responding to them. Now we have somebody in between there who we call as influencers. And as marketers, marketers try to engage with them. It's whether you're an e-commerce company or whether you're a SaaS company, we try to work with influencers to see if we can get a better reach. But the truth is, it's you know at least from my experience, I'm going to talk from my experience. I'm not too sure uh, if we can put out an ROI or if there's really a business plan with influencers out there. Of course, this depends on the industry that you're working with and all of that. But from your experience, how important is working with influencers, you know, as a startup or even as a mid-sized company for you to scale your brand on social media? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I would agree with you that I think it is a difficult ROI. It's one of these things that you sort of have to just believe. Uh, and and I get uncomfortable when that's the answer, right? That you don't have a solid KPI. Um, you know, if you go back to, I mean, influencers have been around for long before social media, right? I mean, celebrity endorsements and, and things have been around for a long time. And brands obviously believed that you know, if I have a celebrity talking about my company on TV or in a magazine ad, that that's going to bring more people to my company. And that's not much different than what influencer marketing is today. The difference is, is that there's a whole other level of people that aren't celebrities that are just people, you know, random people on Instagram that have a lot of followers. This is where I think we just have to be careful. Uh, there's people that are making amazing livings, doing nothing but posting Instagram posts and getting paid to do so. Uh, but I would hold those people to the, you know, the same accountability as you would another marketer in your organization, which is, hey, you're spending my money. What am I getting for it? Are you actually driving sales? Are you getting people talking about my brand? Are you getting them to click through to my website? Or are you just you know, getting paid and, and, uh, and growing your own influence. And I think that's the difficult part. And especially as you have this confluence of personal brand and, and uh, corporate brand, which is happening more and more is you've got people that are influencers in and of themselves who are either 
you know, getting paid by a company to be an influencer, or frankly, my work for that company, uh, and and have both a personal brand and a corporate brand to kind of balance, which is something that that I've tried to deal with as well. Uh, and so, I, I, the short answer is, I agree with you that this is still a growing area or a, a, an exploring area where we don't really know whether the um, the 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 ROI is there. And and all I would say is that much as I as I said to social media marketers early on, you got to hold it to the same standard. You know, social media marketers loved to say at the beginning, well, we can't measure ROI. So we're just going to focus on these vanity metrics like likes and shares and uh, and and follower count. I think that's BS. Like ultimately, as a CMO, you're deciding where you're going to put marketing dollars, and there's only one pot, and you're you're deciding you know who gets each part of that pot. And if you can't show an ROI, that money's going to a different pot. This is just one man's opinion, but for me, I'd much rather have a legitimate, genuine customer of my company talking about me than a person whose job is to be an influencer. I think to me, that's just so much more credible. Um, and so, you know, finding those, making those customers happy and creating great experiences for them and getting them to talk to me is way more impactful. And when you look at the data around who people trust, yes, they trust celebrities, but a startup is not going to be able to afford a celebrity. Uh, and so one of the groups that they trust the most are actual users. That's why that's why ratings and review sites are so popular and why before we buy almost anything, we go and see what other people, other buyers have said about it. Uh, that's really, really key. And so that to me is where I would put my focus. And if it was just tr- you know truly influencer marketing, do I invest in influencer marketing? I'd go back to my other answer, which is you have to compare it against the other marketing you can do. And where is that next incremental dollar best spent to get the highest return? Right. Then we're, I don't have any more questions than I think this was really insightful. You know, if I have to look back at what we just spoke, I really like how you came up with that formula. Uh, the truth is I've not looked at your book and I'm going to go find it online right now. And I love the way how you summarized about when something fails, how do you protect or how do you work towards that? And I love the fact about a couple of examples that you came up with. I love the content today. Thank you for listening to Mind the Gap. Subscribe to our podcast at freshchat.com slash mindthegap. You can check out our upcoming episodes and ask questions to our guest by sending an audio message there. If you enjoyed today's episode, share it with the world. See you guys soon.